0: And then it came to day 10 where she was actually going to go in for her switch, which is what they call the procedure, where they switch around the aorta and the artery. But by this point, she had really started to decline. She was yellow where she had had jaundice. She was on CPAP breathing machine. She needed oxygen. Her heart rate was... So, going so fast. I think at one point she was sort of going 213 beats per minute. She was getting really poorly, getting really weak, and um, they called in an emergency surgeon.
1: I'm Cynthia Overgard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And
2: I'm Tricia Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth.
0: Hello, my name's Jo. I am a heart parent and I'm here to share my journey of finding out that my unborn baby had a heart defect, and then the following journey through pregnancy and postpartum.
2: You said you're a heart parent. Yes. That is a term for parents of babies who are born with heart conditions, I assume?
0: Yes. It was a uh, label that I had never heard of before, and it's probably one that you don't want to have but once you have that label and you meet that community it's a community that you'd never be without they um are such a massive support and when we found out that our daughter had a a birth defect turning to that community online was just a lifesaver really it helped us realize that we weren't alone and that there was light at the end of the tunnel for our journey and that's why it's so important for me to share our story because I hope that it reaches somebody who might be in a a similar position as I was in and that they can hear a positive story because although it sounds a bit scary I still think of our story as positive because our daughter is here she's nine and a half months old and she's healthy so um I yeah just want to let people know that even though the journey's rocky, you, you can get there.
1: <laughs> you were pregnant with your first baby. Started yes. your pregnancy with the understanding that everything was fine. Yes. And what happened next and when did it happen?
0: So everything was going along fine. I found out that I was recent negative. I had a bit of anemia, a bit of morning sickness, kind of normal things that were to be expected. And then we went to our 20-week scan On the hopes that we'd find out the gender of the baby and I had no idea that that was an anomaly scan so it would take a really long time for them to check everything and they couldn't actually finish the scan they were 45 minutes in and baby wasn't in the right position they couldn't tell us if it was a boy or a girl and the sonographer said well I've looked at everything quickly it all looks fine but I can't quite see the heart and I can't see the spine so you'll have to come back again and we'll have another look so two weeks later I went back on my own my partner was at work And that's when a different stenographer told us straight away we're having a girl, which I was really happy about. Um, But then she paused while she was checking the heart and said, there's a shape that I'm looking for and I can't see it. And I don't know whether that's just because I can't see it or if it's not there. And if it's not there, I don't know what the significance of that is. So you're going to have to go to the fetal medicine unit in Bristol and have another scan. Um, Bristol's still in the southwest of the UK, but it's a different county. It's you know, over 120 miles away. So we had to drive up to go to the fetal medicine unit. And that's when we were told that our unborn baby at 22 weeks had a major heart defect called transposition of the greater arteries, which meant that her pulmonary artery and her aorta were transposed. And that without open heart surgery, within a few days of being born, she wouldn't make it. They were reversed. So um, no oxygenated blood would be sent around her body. It was just in a circuit going back from her heart to her lungs, her heart to her lungs. So she would need to have what's called a a switch where they would cut those valves and and switch them around so that everything was plugged in the right way, which um, they made it sound quite simple, but uh, it's definitely quite scary to think about and even though we were told it was a 90% success rate um as you know a new first mum you can't help but focus on that 10% so
1: it's just not high enough let let me ask you something um with that condition and the necessity to have surgery right after the baby is born what is sustaining the baby in utero
0: so yeah we good question we asked that ourselves and we were told that while she was inside me, or while any baby with that condition is inside their mother, they are completely safe because they are essentially breathing through the placenta and they have everything inside that they need to keep them healthy to keep them alive and while she 's in she 's completely safe,
2: right because the placenta is providing all the circulation, and the lungs aren 't in use yet, really, yeah, so that that pulmonary circulation doesn't start until after birth
0: yeah the problem would start we were told as soon as she tried to take her first breath um and we were sort of warned that she would come out not being able to breathe and that she would be blue and she'd need straight away a procedure called an arterial septostomy which is where they um essentially would make the hole that was in her heart because she had two holes as well uh an asd and a vsd they'd um go into her heart with a catheter, blow up like a balloon and then rip the heart, the hole and make it bigger backwards and forwards so that the blood would mix. And then they'd sustain that um, with a drug called Prostin, which would keep the hole open until her open heart surgery. So that was the plan. But actually, she came out pink and she was breathing. So she didn't need that surgery straight away. So we were very lucky.
1: Did she come out pink and breathing because she was still attached to the placenta and getting her oxygen that way?
0: No, I I think in some cases, you just are very lucky. And with us, my daughter, Malia, when she, she came out, I could hear her crying straight away before I'd fully actually given birth to her. And she was sort of halfway out, I could hear her crying. And then that allowed me to then have 60 seconds with her on my chest, which I did not think I was going to have. So that was also amazing.
2: I imagine then things changed like she came out and she was breathing and that was amazing. And you got this first beautiful minute with her where everything was working properly, <clears throat> but of course that wasn't sustainable with her condition. So we want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. About uh, anything more in your, in the pregnancy in the birth process, in the, in the planning and the support you got or didn't get.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were, We were very supported by the hospital, both locally to us, where we live in Plymouth, but also the hospital in Bristol, um, because we were planning on sort of as natural a birth as possible, if that's the correct term. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to have a water birth. I wanted... I didn't really want any intervention, and then to be told at your 22-week scan you need to give birth in a hospital in a different county from you. You'll need to be induced because you need to be in the right place. There needs to be space in the NICU for your baby. It felt like that was completely taken out of my hands, but I appreciate and understand that that was the path that we needed to follow in order to keep our daughter alive. So I did lots of hypnobirthing. I read up about about positive inductions. Um, and I felt that I was quite prepped that way but then three days before her induction she decided that she was going to come early anyway so as good as that was for me because I was a little bit nervous about being induced it meant that we weren't in the right place so I had to be blue lighted by an ambulance from where we live in Plymouth to Bristol. Um, My partner was unable to come with us so he was stuck in the car on the motorway in a massive traffic accident while I was laboring in the heat wave last last September Sorry, by myself um, in the back of the ambulance and hadn't had any pain relief and was thinking that things were quite intense but nobody was really checking me because I was only one centimeter dilated when I left the hospital and four hours later when we got to Bristol I could just my body just started pushing and I remember asking for the epidural and just feeling this real moment of panic and the midwives are sort of looking at each other like oh you know you can't have the epidural yet you need to wait until you're four centimeters and then I was like no I'm actually I'm pushing I'm pushing and they checked me and they're like oh you're 10 centimeters just go with your body so I I dilated from one to ten in less than five hours all
2: in the back of an ambulance
0: (laughs) yes yeah it's um it was quite dramatic but at the same time I feel like I stayed quite calm I didn't want to panic and I didn't want her to come out before we got to the hospital um so she came just in time and my partner arrived just in time to be there um we very nearly had a emergency c-section because her heart kept dropping um because I don't think well actually no I know I wasn't pushing as much as I should have been pushing because I didn't want her to come out. There was a moment where my brain suddenly went, Oh, once your baby comes out, she's going to be in trouble. She's going to be fighting for her life. She's going to be taken away from you. I don't want her to come out anymore. So I was almost deliberately trying to keep her inside because I knew that she'd be safe. And then when they pressed the emergency button and everybody came in and they started prepping me, I was like, No, okay, I need to, I, I will do this. I can do this. Please let me do this. Um, because I knew that a vaginal birth was the best outcome for her because I was told that it would squeeze more fluid out of her lungs as she came down the birth canal. And also for my recovery, um, I knew that we would be in hospital. We were told for up to four to 12 weeks, we could be away from home and there'd be lots of sleeping in hospital chairs and stood over her bed. So I I wanted to make sure that I could do that. Um, so
1: I want to just jump in. I have never here in the U S heard of a single woman report that her provider said a vaginal birth will be important here in your case. You're the first time I've heard any woman say that. And it happened in the UK. Yeah, they don't say that here. It's always, Mm. I mean, I I really think, I mean, I don't know if you've connected with women with heart mothers in the US, but I would venture to guess that they're usually told we need to schedule a C-section. So uh, right. I'm very happy to hear that they said that. And I'm happy that they were informed and said, well, here are the benefits of a vaginal birth. We never hear that over here.
0: Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't connected with any US mums, actually. That's something I'd, I'd like to outreach and do. But um, we were the ones pushing for a C-section f- towards the end because we thought, right, that's, all of this is completely out of our control. A C-section we can control. We know when it would happen. She'd be out quickly. This is what we want to do. And it was the hospital that was pushing back at us saying no natural natural and now I'm so glad that we did because it, it, my labor I think was was amazing although it was, there was a lot of stressful situations going on actually giving birth to my daughter was probably the easiest part of this whole journey and um I'm so glad we did it that way because also seeing just how much we had to do um for her care I couldn't have done that if I'd had a C section because my partner would also needing would need to be looking after me as well as our daughter it just would have been very complicated so I'm I'm just so happy things worked out the way they did so when Malia was born and she'd had our si- uh, 60 seconds together on my chest she then got taken away to the NICU straight away and my partner and I had already discussed that he was going to go with her I didn't know how I was going to feel after giving birth but I felt I was going to be okay by myself so he went off with her and um, I delivered my placenta and I had I was looked at by the doctor and then the doctor and the midwife left I was left on my own for about 40 minutes and I'm not quite sure if that was meant to happen or if anybody knew I was on my own but I was I didn't have a buzzer there was no way of me getting up I was still covered in the towel I'd just given birth and I was just sort of lying there for 40 minutes wondering what was going on but um she then came back 40 minutes later and helped me have a bath and then my partner came back and was showing me pictures of our daughter in the NICU and um I was allowed to hobble down to see her if I'd eaten some toast and had a cup of tea so I did um and then we went into the NICU and I remember it was really dark in there and very hot and I got about 2 meters away from seeing my daughter i could see that somebody was working on her and she'd had lots of wires put in and they were doing an echo a gram of her heart and then i went very funny i i I couldn't feel my hands. I couldn't feel my feet. I had really heavy hands and feet. It felt like pins and needles were going through me. I couldn't breathe. I had to be then taken back up to the maternity unit where I was told that I was really dehydrated because I hadn't had any fluids for about eight hours and had labored in the back of a very hot ambulance. Um,
1: Can that have the effect of heavy hands and feet like that?
0: Possibly, but I think it was more, um, they said that I also had carbon dioxide in my blood, which could have happened through hyperventilating. And then they did an ECG on me and the doctor thought that I had a heart murmur, which was news to me. So all this information was kind of coming at me um, while I was in a separate building to my baby, because at that point she'd been taken down to the children's hospital and in an ambulance with my partner. So I was having to stay hooked up to a, a drip in the hospital where I'd just given birth
1: what did that feel like
0: it is it's really hard to put into words it felt like someone had without sort of sounding too depressing it just felt like someone had ripped my heart out and they had just run away with it and had just taken it away from me I just felt so empty because my belly was empty I kept feeling my stomach to just make sure she wasn't in there anymore it's like I couldn't believe what had happened but my arms were also empty I didn't have her and just that instinct of just needing to be with her and hold her and smell her. I didn't even know what she really looked like properly and that whole night just being by myself without her was so strange and then the next day it took them 12 hours before they discharged me so I hadn't seen her for 29 hours since giving birth to her and it was awful. My partner kept having to come up the hill from the hospital where she was and collect colostrum from me, which I was squeezing into a syringe. And then he'd go back down and feed that to her. And yeah, it was stressful. We
2: can't, we can't underestimate the emotional toll of what you were experiencing. You knew this was coming. You had this anticipation. And when your baby was taken from you, you knew all these things that could be going wrong. And So what you were feeling, I'm sure in your hands, your feet, your chest was connected to those emotions, Mm. but you know, there were other factors at play too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I did have a really lovely labor bag prepared actually with all of my treats and all of my candles and incense and everything, everything that I possibly could have needed for a relaxing experience, but it was stuck in the motorway a couple of miles back with my partner. So I never got to see that but um yeah but the next day I was begging to be discharged and by the time it got to six o'clock in the evening I finally got my paperwork and they wanted the hospital wanted to call me a taxi or wait for someone to wheel me down in a wheelchair because the hill from where I the hospital I was in to the children's hospital is it's the steepest hill I've ever seen in my life and I just didn't want to wait so I just marched down to see her and I was wearing shorts and I got there and I could just feel the blood just coming out of my shorts, right? And I regretted that the next day.
1: <laughs> you walked there. Wow. Okay. That's,
0: that's. I could have waited. I think I could have waited, but I just didn't want to wait. I just was in full mama mode. I just wanted to be with my baby. I didn't want to wait anymore, and I just, I just went, and I probably shouldn't have done because it made my recovery um a lot harder than maybe it needed to be. I had quite a few stitches which I had torn and um yeah quite a lot of pain and then I got to go in and and see her in the pediatric intensive care unit in the PICU and that was the first time I really got to take her in and see what she looked like and hold her hand and navigate sort of through all the wires and the tubes and everything and meet the nurses who had essentially been her mum for the past 24 hours they had changed her and washed her and um Had done all the things that she needed doing, so it was an emotional moment that I was really happy, obviously, to see her. But yeah, we couldn't then stay with her each night, so every night we had to say goodbye to her and and leave her there. Um, but she looked really well at this point, and this is why I'm so grateful that her defect was picked up at my 20 week scan because if we didn't know, and only 50% of cases are picked up, um early before the baby's born if we didn't know we would have just taken her home and then she would have deteriorated quite quickly so we're very very lucky Um, and her open heart surgery was scheduled for five days time so we called all our family they all came up to see her and everything was kind of on track but then they did a routine x-ray and discovered that she had um, something called neck necrotizing endocolitis which is where part of her bowel was dying and they had to immediately stop all of her feeds. She had to go on triple antibiotics. Um, they said that they could not do her surgery until the neck had been fixed because doing this her open heart surgery would mean stopping her heart, which meant obviously no blood is going around her body, which would then mean that no blood was going to her to her tummy and if that happened, I was told it could result in A stoma bag or it could be life-threatening so they had to get on top of the neck first so she had five days of not being fed and antibiotics and she she cleared it
1: how did they feed her
0: um so she was on a almost a formula called tpn which had all of the uh nutrition and everything that she needed to be in to keep her sort of hydrated but um was it intravenous yeah. yeah, Yes, it was. Yeah. It was via a drip. And then when she came off that, I was able to give her bits of colostrum again. She had an NG tube, so she was being fed through her nose. I was trying to pump at the same time. Uh, all of her feeds had to be measured, so I wasn't allowed to breastfeed her. And I was really struggling with that because no milk was coming out. I thought it would happen straight away, but it took me up to day eight I think before any milk came so um I was just having to sit in another room really in the family room with my electric pump trying to harvest as much colostrum as I could and at night time I had to sort of set my alarm and walk across and and pump or pump in the hotel room that we were in and um yeah when when my milk finally came through it was an amazing feeling um but by that point, they were then prepping her for her surgery so because she was having her open heart surgery on day 10. So we didn't really get to give her too much of my breast milk, but she'd had colostrum and they'd use that for sort of eye care and mouth care. And, um, and then it came to day 10 where she was actually going to go in for her switch, which is what they call the procedure where they switch around the aorta and the artery.
2: Was she also being fed or uh, donated? breast milk or colostrum or formula
0: uh it was only my colostrum and actually for the first 48 hours maybe she wasn't having anything because I couldn't really get that much out um, I managed to harvest some colostrum just after I, I I had her but it wasn't very much
2: I'm I'm only asking because it's interesting because if you, you were having a hard time getting your milk to come in you weren't producing a copious amount of colostrum she wasn't breastfeeding in the united states those baby a baby would be on formula so fast Um, right So in the uk they they were willing to just forego formula or donated milk and just give her everything that was your own
3: hey there all you amazing strong and beautiful women especially you new moms and moms to be I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code DOWNTOBIRTH at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy.
2: Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And postpartum soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot and use promo code birth. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy to take vanilla powder. Perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was just... We were told her tummy was so small that just little bits of colostrum would be enough to sustain her. That is so, true. we don't hear that enough over here. That is true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when so they're yeah, born, their was... stomachs are disproportionately small to their bodies as compared to how their stomachs are gonna be in relation to their bodies the rest of their lives. They're really tiny and colostrum is enough. That's yeah. it's just so fascinating to hear stories like this from someone outside of the US because we just it's just such a good reminder to our listeners that so much of what we view as normal and or necessary is simply cultural. Mm -hmm. So our country would handle so many of these things differently, which only shows that, you know, they can't both be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So really, really interesting. All right. So what happened next? She had her surgery on day 10. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah we um, had a call to say that her surgery was going to go ahead because they initially wanted to do the arterial septostomy and wait a bit longer because it was a bank holiday over here because the queen passed away. We had a bank holiday to commemorate that which then meant that there just weren't any surgeons around that were going to be able to do the surgery so they would delaying that until there was the right amount of people to safely do her procedure but by this point she had really started to decline she was yellow where she had had jaundice she was on CPAP breathing machine she needed oxygen her heart rate was so going so fast I think at one point she was sort of going 213 beats per minute she was getting really poorly getting really weak and um, they called in an emergency surgeon who came to see us that morning we had to sign the paperwork well my I gave my partner the paperwork to sign I couldn't do it because you saw all of the side effects of possible things that could go wrong and when you see you know, seizure know, and cardiac arrest and death and like acknowledge that these could be the outcome. I just couldn't process that. So he he signed the paperwork and we kissed her goodbye and she got wheeled away. And then I remember calling out to the nurse saying, can you please bring me back her blanket because I need something to smell to be able to continue to express while she's n- not near me. And she came back with her blanket and her teddy and we just walked around the city for a couple of hours just crying really we went back to our room in the charity accommodation that we were in we tried to sleep but we couldn't we tried to eat but we couldn't we tried to watch tv but we couldn't and then the call came seven hours later to say that she was critical but stable um the surgery had gone well she had been put onto a pacemaker at one point in the surgery um but everything had gone as it should and actually they were able to close her chest fully because normally they have to leave the chests open because of swelling but hers was able to to close so it was quite a straightforward operation and then after that we got to go and see her um she was kind of she was drowsy, but one of her eyes was kind of half open and she was making really like grunting, low noises. It was it was sad to see and it was quite scary because she had sort of chest drains coming out of her, which were emptying all of the blood like into tubs next to her on the bed. But I was so happy for the first time. I actually felt relieved that it was done and I knew her heart was fixed and I knew that the road was still going to be bumpy, but I, she'd survived the surgery. So now we just had to get through the recovery so that was kind of a bittersweet moment and that night was quite scary they told us it could be rocky the first night but um she did well and it was only it was two days later she got moved to a different part of the hospital um out of the picu and it was in there that she then went into an episode of uh svt which was when her heart um, essentially ticked into a different rhythm and rather than going around all four chambers it was just going backwards and forwards backwards and forwards across two of them and it went up to I think, 256 beats um, per minute and oh my god that was scary so I had no idea what was going on I thought she was having a heart attack the room just filled with people and they were like putting ice all over her head to try and bring her heart rate back down. And in the end, they injected her with something. I can't remember what it was, but they managed to stabilize her.
1: That's terrifying. Um, this is terrifying stuff. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you had to feel like you were in a state of shock half the time, and disbelief.
0: Yeah. Um, and we were told that 80% of babies grow out of it within the first year of their life. Um, but she was given which we have to give to her three times a day and we we're also given stethoscope training so we have to listen into her heart four times a day to make sure that it hasn't uh gone fast again so we're in the habit of doing that now it's harder now she's a bit bigger and she's a bit wriggly but um we can usually tell within a couple of seconds whether her heart is okay or not and so far touch which, it's all it's all been fine
1: so when when you in in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned she's totally fine and she is thank goodness, but she's living on medication right now. And will she the rest of her life? Is that part of this?
0: She has come, she came off of the medication a month ago, but they were going to keep it going for a year. And depending on whether she outgrows the SVT or not would determine whether she'd need to be on the medication for life or not.
1: I understand. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so because of all the medications that she's been on she has had a lot of tummy issues as well and we've really struggled with feeding and that's been a whole that's a whole other whole other part of the journey which has been quite tricky but um yeah she's if you were to look at her now you wouldn't know she's the most fiery passionate lively baby you you could ever meet
1: (laughs) do they know why this happens some babies in utero and how common is it do they know how frequently this occurs
0: so in the uk one in 125 babies are diagnosed with a congenital heart defect uh transposition of the greater arteries i think makes up about 10 percent of that they don't know why it happens i was told when we were diagnosed that there was nothing that i did that caused it and there was nothing that i could have done to have made it better we signed up at the hospital to be part of a trial group so one of the doctors um was running a trial to see if he could find any possible causes or links to this defect it's not um hereditary um so he took my blood sample my partner's blood sample urine samples he took blood from the umbilical cord when my daughter was born and we're going to be checking in with him so sort of every couple of years for the rest of our life really just to see if anything has changed in in any way to help his research um yeah if we can help in any way then we want to and we're just very lucky that this surgery is technically quite a straightforward one um compared to other heart defects that you can have um but if she had come 20 years ago it would have been very different it's only something that they've sort of said that they have really mastered in the last 20 years.
2: It's really, really remarkable what they can do. And sometimes these surgeries are even performed. I don't know if this specific surgery, but some of these heart surgeries are performed in utero. Yeah. While babies, while mothers are still pregnant and it's just incredible what we can do. And because now her heart anatomy is corrected, does she have any physical limitations or restrictions or, or activity levels for her life just expected to be absolutely normal
0: um i think it's as normal as sort of expected it's she has to be careful not to get too hot she also has to be careful if she goes swimming not to get too cold she's not allowed to get any tattoos or ear piercings and we have to be really careful with dental hygiene because of the increased risk of endocarditis which is where bacteria can get into the heart Yeah, we have to tell her that she won't be able to pierce her ears or have a tattoo. So,
1: Are all infections a risk to her or is there something specific to ear piercing?
0: I think those in particular were mentioned to us um, because of the risk of endocarditis. But I think in particular, we do have to be a a bit more careful than you would do maybe with a healthy baby. Um, If she got poorly, then she could get more poorly than uh, another child so we were quite isolated for the first couple of months we didn't really go out anywhere and if people came over we were really strict about please don't come if you're poorly please wear a mask please wash your hands please do a covid test if you don't feel very well um and we've only just started taking her to baby groups to sort of let her then build up her immune system now that she's that much older and we're in summertime over here as well so it just sort of decreases that risk of her getting too sick while she's so
2: is the heart community that you mentioned is that a worldwide organization or just like is it more, more in the UK can you tell us a little bit more about that
0: yeah so the group that I um initially became a part of was through a Facebook group which was heart parents in the southwest of the UK um but there are charities which um are a bit are more global but um it's mainly uk-based um support systems that we've been accessing um and we've been raising money for a small charity called tiny tickers which again is uk-based and all the money that they receive goes towards training sonographers to detect defects in utero so that was a really important charity for us so we've been walking lots of miles to raise money for those as well
1: tell us why it feels so important to share your story
0: for me it was so helpful hearing stories with good outcomes it was a lifeline throughout my pregnancy it was something that I could cling on to and hold on to and on the days where it felt like everything was falling apart just knowing that someone else's story and what they'd been through and that they'd come out the other side I thought right okay if if they can help me that way then I'd like to help someone else if they've also been diagnosed or had a baby that's been diagnosed with a congenital heart defect that you know it it's scary but you can you, you do get through it you will get through it and um I guess as well I'm just I'm so proud of my baby I'm everything that she's been through she's such a fighter and I just want people to know and I know our story isn't sort of perfect but to me it, it's amazing and it's just such a testament to her and how strong she is and if you're going through the journey of being pregnant to a baby with a heart problem or if you're a heart mum or a heart dad you know, grieve the losses but celebrate the victories explore your grief express it don't push it down and just know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and You will get there, and cardiac babies are warriors. They really are. They're the strongest little babies you'll ever meet.
2: Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples
1: everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself.
2: Your story is one of the reasons that we, we talk a lot about ultrasounds and choosing ultrasound or not choosing ultrasound on the podcast, but the anatomy scan is an important one for reasons mm-hmm. like this and i know that they're not all picked up mm. but but not knowing something like that and having a birth far away from a hospital could have been a very different outcome
0: oh absolutely